You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So, just because it drives me nuts that I can't see for myself, I decided to download um, the iTunes thing or whatever just to my desktop. I'm not an Apple person, but I can at least do that. You know, I, I really thought it was like a glitch slash Apple's bad at stuff. I kind of think it's just Apple's bad at stuff. So I, I, it's, I, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I guess it's kind of bad because I kind of thought maybe if they just fixed, fixed the glitch that everything would be fine. But, I, you know, as the saying goes, you can't fix stupid. So I don't know what I'm going to do about that. But I was looking at If you type in Packers, and maybe it's different on a cell phone than on this desktop thing, which now it's all locked up because obviously... Um, less than half, if I looked at the first three rows, which you have to go three rows down to get to mine, because, you know, stupid, less than half are Packers podcasts. Now, some of them are NFL or sports. Some of them are just not even close. But, I mean, the first, the first, and it actually just just changed. So it does seem to shuffle every single time. Now you got to go to the fourth row to get to mine, because I, I literally just did this five minutes ago, and I was on the third row, and now I'm on the fourth row. The first two podcasts, there's a UFC podcast and the Coolness Chronicles. I typed in Packers, dude. I just, I don't know, it just, it just, it just shocks me. Like, if I paid somebody money to just create some kind of a a thing, some kind of an algorithm that, you know, did what I want this thing to do, and I paid them a fraction of Apple's budget, and it turned out like this, I would not pay them. I don't care if it was like a thousand bucks. Like, you didn't do the thing I wanted it to do. Why is the Coolness Chronicles number two? You have to get to number three before you get to a Packers podcast, and it's Packers Unscripted, which is fine. That's the official Packers podcast. No problem with that. UFC and the Coolness Chronicles should not be on here. You also have About Progress and Pardon My Take, which, again, Pardon My Take is football, but on the first row, four out of eight are not Green Bay Packers podcasts. The next row is mostly Packers podcasts. So round two, we're 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 got a real good hit rate. But you also have PFT Live and the English Puritans with J.I. Packer. Row three is not a single Packers podcast, so that's just a buffer to make sure I can't be on row three. Row row four is me and three Packers podcasts packed in with a bunch of non-Packers things, like Real Time with Bill Maher, The New Yorker, Fiction, like. <laughs> How could how can any company suck this bad? It baffles me. I've never gotten into the whole Android versus Apple thing because I don't care. I've always thought Apple was pretentious. And I also don't like that it's like its own universe and I don't want to have to go off into some other universe and learn that different language and everything else that doesn't 
fit with everything else that's going on in the world. And it's like, nah, you guys go off on your own, do your own thing. But my only interactions with Apple have been terrible. And none of the algorithms are good, but this is baffling to me. What happens when you type in a different thing? What's what's another? Now, if I type in Green Bay Packers, I'm on the top row. So that's that's nice. But still, the number one thing is Joe picks an NFL team. So that's not a Packers thing. You've got Wisconsin History's posts and pop off then, pop off then, which is one word, all in the first row. So I guess I just hope that people are typing in Green Bay Packers. I don't, I don't know. At least it's not as bad as the Bills. If you type in Bills, I didn't type in Buffalo Bills. I just typed in Bills. I see three Buffalo Bills podcasts in the first four rows. <laughs> Anyways, just uh, just poking around here in the early morning hours. For those of you that are new, welcome. Sometimes I just talk about stuff. Don't worry about it. We're getting there. It's early. We got a lot of time. But let's get it started with some real good news, or at least something that'll hopefully make you smile. As you know, the the Chicago Bears have, um, I mean, they've got a terrible, terrible team. Pretty historically terrible. They've had some good eras and whatnot, but they've got one Super Bowl to their name. And they may have had the worst stretch of quarterbacks, um, like group of quarterbacks ever despite the fact that they've been around for longer than, than a lot of teams, you could probably make a case that no team has had worse quarterbacks than the Chicago Bears. And so although you could probably debate which one was the best and which one was the worst, only one of them has ever won a Super Bowl with the Chicago Bears. You got one Super Bowl-winning quarterback that was a Chicago Bear. That same Super Bowl-winning quarterback went on a Chicago Bears um, YouTube channel, which has like 40 subscribers, so I don't know what I'm doing wrong in my life. But he went on and gave a couple insights, and I want to share some of those insights with you because I thought it uh, thought it was funny. Here is Jim McMahon talking about the Bears and the Packers. So you guys, not uh, not kind of cut kind of cut this 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 dress short, but you guys played together up in Green Bay. What was that like? What was that like playing with one another? How was that cool? Well, I didn't play much. So I, I had a lot more fun than, than Yurko did. Uh, he had a lot of fun. But I, like I said, it's camaraderie in the locker room. Then, yeah, you we, know, did, that's we did you have a good time. It, a lot of good yeah. guys up there. A great uh, great atmosphere. The, it was the best team or the best organization that, that I played for in the of the seven teams that I got to play for. Yeah. We Green, had, Green we, Bay, we, oh, hold on. Hold on. Time out. Time out really quick. The Green Bay Packers were the best organization you've ever played with? By far. Oh, yeah. yeah. From top to bottom, just great people. Uh, that you know, breaks my the, heart, Tim. That breaks guys, my heart. All the way up to the, you know, the whoever's the, the main guy up there right now. Who knows? But right, yeah. everybody I mean, Pepper, gets treated the same, and uh, yeah. they treat you great up there. Back then, yeah. it was Pepper Burris, uh, you know, and the Red Batty was your equipment guy. Right. Pepper was your trainer. Yeah, and he said it. Back then, it was Bob Harlan, uh, who was the president of the Packers. Uh, Mike Reinfeldt was there. Everybody, Ted Thompson, everybody was fantastic up there. And uh, the camaraderie they had in the locker room, Jimmy got the bonus year where he ended up winning the Super Bowl with those guys also. So that was a team that uh, they brought some players in, solidified some positions. The next thing you know, their defense was one of the best in the league and their offense was one of the best in the league. And you're the only show in town. People love you. No matter where you go, you're the best, you're the greatest, you're fantastic. And if you've never been in that type of atmosphere – well, you're not sharing with a hockey team. You're not sharing with a basketball team. You're not sharing with baseball teams. You are the show, the only show, and they treat you like you are a king up there. So, is Mark. so you've got two Chicago Bears hosts listening to two guests 
completely hijack your show and spend, how long was that? Almost two minutes bragging about the Green Bay Packers while your only ever Super Bowl winning quarterback talks about how the Green Bay Packers were the best organization he's ever played for by far. He was a backup quarterback in Green Bay. He was a Super Bowl champion in Chicago. He says Green Bay was by far the best team he's ever played for. (laughs) Oh, man, the rich just keep getting richer, don't they? Anyways, I thought that would brighten your day. Bears fans don't have much, but today they have even less. All right, let's move on to some stuff that I was hoping we'd get to yesterday, but uh, absolutely did not. I'm going to skip over one and kind of go to the other because it's a couple days old and I don't want to miss it because I wrote in the notes about what I did yesterday, which is now two days ago. But um, I decided I would look at every single mock draft that was done in the last 24 hours, which would have been, I guess, Wednesday I did this. And by every single mock draft, it was every single mock draft I could find, but there were probably 10 to 12 of them. The thing that I found shocking, and um, I guess, can something be shocking and not surprising? I don't know. I think it can. If you're on the south side of Chicago and you hear a gunshot at two in the morning, it's shocking, but it's not surprising, right? Anyways, of all the mocks, let's just call it 10. Every single pick for the Green Bay Packers was different, with the exception of two mocks having Zayvon Collins go into Green Bay. Every single mock draft was different. I don't think that's a bad thing. I just, I really think it goes to, because I've been trying to think, is it really different this year or am I just kind of in a different frame of mind? Maybe because I'm a little bit more immersed in the the draft and the draft prospects, I'm just more okay with certain things. I just, I, I can't quite put my finger on how different this year is than other years in terms of just being okay with everything. But generally, there's like one or two guys the Packers want, right? There's a whole list of guys last year that I feel like we just, we would have had no interest in. And I, I generally think it's a very, very good thing that you've got all these different people varying degrees of credibility or whatever, but that's kind of irrelevant, who are doing mock drafts, who are saying, I believe this person is not only available, but a good fit and could really help the Green Bay Packers. And it's all different guys. And it really just goes into what I was saying about it. You know, it's, it's sort of a, you can't hurt me this year kind of a situation. Now there's varying degrees of excitement, but I just found it, I found it refreshing in a way, but also kind of exciting. It's going to make this year, I think, extremely exciting because You never know what the Packers are going to do at the back of the first. It's almost always going to be something you don't expect, but I genuinely think it's going to be something that we're happy about. Now, it's entirely possible it's somebody that we don't even consider a second-round prospect or somebody we think is a late second-round prospect. It's it's a little bit unlikely, but at the same time, considering most of the second-round prospects could go in the first round and it wouldn't bother me, they're going to have to reach into the third round before I start getting annoyed with, with who they pick. And by the way, when I say second and third round, I'm talking about what the the draft you know, um, what's the word? What's a word? Ecosystem has determined to be first and second as an aggregate, right? Because even that kind of varies from person to person. Even as you get closer, you start to see more wild and crazy stuff. Partially because guys, you know, and I've even experienced this with my YouTube channel, the numbers are actually going down as we get closer to the draft. I think in part it's because there's a massive amount of saturation, so I don't stand out as much as when I do it in August. And in part because of just flat out burnout, right? I mean, I'm doing like mock draft number 15 and that's everybody else is on 10, 12, 15, whatever. I know uh, Boss is over there. He's he's killing it in YouTube right now. 
I think he just released, what, mock draft number seven or number nine or something for the Packers. I mean, at some point, you just kind of get to a level of burnout. And even I'm kind of to the point of, of, at least as far as mock drafts and whatnot, you get kind of burned out. So you start to see more things where it's like, you see crazy stuff with the big boards and the mock drafts because they just want to, they need to grab your attention and pull you in. They need, you need to have a reason to look at my 19th mock draft. But also in part, you've got some guys that hold off. And I remember this used to happen a lot with Mike Mayock before he went off and became a GM. You know, he would kind of wait until a week or two before the actual draft or whenever he did it. And he would do one mock draft and that's when it would come out. And he was a little bit more in the know than a lot of these guys. And he wasn't a part of all the group think and whatnot. And so there would be certain things that are just wildly different. And it's like, wait a minute, what? So you got a little bit of that. You got a little bit of guys just being crazy or whatever. And so things right at the end, you know, it's like in the beginning, everything's kind of crazy. It starts to shift more in one direction. And you see sort of these slow progressions. These guys are slowly trending up. These guys are slowly trending down. And then you just get these juggernaut, just massive earthquake seismic shifts that happen that just blow things up, which is all kind of fun, but. But for the Packers, I mean, it's just, it's so unbelievably up in the air. And as much as you can look at it and say, I, you know, nothing is probably going to shock me. And that might be true because again, we've got a list of probably 20 or 25 or more guys that we could put down and say, I could see this being the pick. And it probably will be one of those. So again, it'll be almost the opposite of what I said before. It'll be surprising, but not shocking, right? But anyways, of those mock drafts, and again, these are a couple days old, so there's probably some newer ones or whatever, but there's two that I wanted to highlight. And I think the reason I wanted to highlight them is because they're a little bit more, a little bit more on the shocking side, a little bit more on the aggressive side. And uh, so it would be a little bit more of a surprise. The first was Yahoo who did a, uh, a mock draft and they had the Packers picking at 29 and at pick 29, they took Caleb Farley. Now again, and they even put it in here that it's aggressive. They said the Packers have been aggressive in round one under GM, trading up multiple times. Drafting Farley would be a different form of aggression which is true. And, and again, I've, I've been, I've said I've taken him off the board. I'll, I will talk myself into getting excited. I also am just not a big fan of his overall body of work, but obviously what he did in, I believe it was 2019, because I don't think he played in 2020, must have been just massively, wildly, shockingly, I don't know why I'm so obsessed with the word shocking today, but just unbelievably impressive for him to be as high as he is considering ACL tear, back surgery, and only having really one good year in college, not playing in 2020 and playing poorly in 2018. 2019 must have just been a year to end all years. But that's one where, and again, it wouldn't really be super surprising, but at 29, you're sitting there going, are they really going to do it? Right? If, if, if Caleb Farley has fallen all this way and the Packers are there, I'm thinking they're probably not. My thought is they're going to let him pass. If everybody else is going to let him pass, I think we're going to let him pass too. I don't think we're so desperate at corner that we're willing to take a shot on a potential top 10 talent that that could also be just terrible, right? Again, my my thought is just get a guy that's going to be fine. You know, I I mean, absolutely in the first round, you want a guy with a really high ceiling, but don't give me a low floor. I'd rather we lower the ceiling a little bit if we can just raise that floor up. And um, so I, I would have expected them to let him pass. But if they picked Caleb Farley here, that would be shocking, worrisome, but also potentially exciting. Because again, the, the general consensus is this guy is unbelievably talented and if he can stay healthy which i just i i hate that i mean that was that was kevin king like his first two years the guy just could not stay healthy two or three maybe i don't even know as time's gone on he's played more and more but it, you know, it hasn't really gotten better which is why again the whole when he's healthy thing always drives me nuts i mean if it's true that's fine if you can show that when he's on the field he actually plays really well it's just that he's hurt all the time 
that's fine. But usually that's not the case. Usually the case is people get excited and the guy's injured all the time. And so they just think, well, he, if he would just healthy, he'd be great. But we don't actually know that. Anyways, in the CBS mock draft, they actually had the Packers trading up with the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Packers move up to 24, again, just kind of playing off of what the Packers have always done. And this one would probably bother me a little bit because at, at pick 24, not only did they give up a third round pick to get up there, our, our 92nd pick, oh, excuse me, they gave up a third and a fourth. So I would be, this would be one of the few situations where I would be furious. Guess who they picked? Mr. Greg Newsom. Now, again, I will trust the Packers judgment before I'll trust my own. I did not like Jordan Love. Once I spent more time looking at it, I really liked it. Same thing with A.J. Dillon. Same thing with Josiah DeGuara. Kamal is the only one I could not come around to. Shows what I know, right? But again, I, I just, I would be shocked if this was the case. Again, we don't, we're not so desperate at corner. Remember, we don't need to get a, a number one lockdown guy because we already have it. We're in a better position than a lot. We need more depth at corner. And I'm not opposed to using a first round pick. It's the same as, as somebody else was talking. I saw in the Facebook group, somebody mentioned something about wide receiver. And then there was a comment in there saying, well, we have to because we're going to have no wide receivers next year. Well, we have to get somebody. It doesn't have to be pick 29, right? We already have Devontae. We already have Jair. We need number two, number three, number four. And they don't. that doesn't mean they have to be bad, but we don't have to be desperate about it. We don't have to get an elite number one corner. We have that. We don't need an elite number one wide receiver. We have that. So... You know, again, if you think Greg Newsom is an elite corner and he's there at 29 and he's the best on your board, take him. But I don't want to trade up to 24 to do it. You're going to give up two picks, and this team needs a lot. We're about to blow this thing up given the contract situation. We can't afford to give away two picks. We need as many people on this team as possible. we got a lot of people heading out the door next year, and we don't have any money to retain them. And we're probably going to be cutting a bunch more guys because, again, no money. So we need a lot of guys waiting in the wings ready to take over. So these are just examples of some things that would kind of surprise me. They're much more aggressive than I would expect. Caleb Farley less so, but again, it's just, it's a different form of aggression. Get out of my face, please, and thank you very much. But um, that, that brings me to another thing. There was, and again, this was a couple days ago, there was a big um, groundswell of talk about RAS and minimums, and especially in regard to Asante Samuel. I think it was uh, primarily Dara that started this thing off basically saying he doesn't meet the Packers' threshold for RAS. Again, like everything else I've said, and, and, and again, I'm not going at Dara. He even said at the end of his tweet, I don't even know if this is a real thing or if this even exists, but it's interesting. But I think we're way too black and white about stuff. We had a hard and fast rule about height, and we'd heard for years we would never, ever, ever go below this height. Now, the Packers never said they had a rule about height. We just made it up because they hadn't yet drafted anybody under this particular height. So we said they must have a rule. Well, there's no rule. There might be general guidelines, just like with tackle. Every year we hear about this guy can't be a tackle because his arms are too short. And then he gets drafted, he gets played at tackle, and he's fine. We look at things that the Packers have not done, or we look at some kind of a correlation, and we say this must be some kind of a rule they made up. And again, I don't think there's anything that's perfectly black and white. I think that there is sort of this spectrum. There's a sliding scale. And I do think the Packers are a little bit heavier on the side of athleticism. It doesn't even necessarily have to be RAS. I don't know if they ever even look at or care about RAS. That's something that somebody made up. I doubt that they're using that as a reference. They probably have their own metrics. But they correspond to RAS because RAS is just looking at athleticism. And I think, again, the Packers tend to care more about athleticism than other teams do. The other thing worth noting is that it's not even necessarily a hard and fast Packers rule. And by the way, the rule was 
eight, an RAS score of eight. It's a 10 point scale. And generally, if you look at who the Packers have taken in the first, you'd have to say two rounds, which again is why this rule gets very compressed and kind of silly because you really have to shrink it down to make it work. But it's not just a, a, a Brian Gutekunst thing. This is a Packers thing. But if we go back, not even very far, look at Mr. Kenny Clark. Kenny Clark had a 7.55 RAS. He was a first-round pick, and he's very, very good. His uh, explosion score was poor. His speed was good. His size was good. Overall, 7.55. It was under 8. They took him in the first round. What happened to that hard and fast rule? It doesn't exist. And again, that wasn't even long ago. Now, now, and here's the other thing. If you look at most people in the first round, they have an RAS score of 8 or higher. Because in the first round is when you find people with really high ceiling. It's not just that you're a good football player. It's that you're a good football player and you have a really high ceiling. A lot of guys have really high RAS. Not all of them, but a lot of them generally do. So if you were to throw a dart at a, at a first-round pick, you're probably going to hit somebody with an 8 or higher. The question is, if somebody is a little bit lower, but we really, really, really like them, would we be willing to look the other way? The answer is obviously yes, because they did it not very long ago. If we say that Ted Thompson was different, although that's absolutely not true because this has been a standard that's been around since before Gutekunst, but you say, okay, well, Brian Gutekunst hasn't taken a first-round pick uh, with a eight or, le- or less than eight. Well, first of all, he's had, what, three or four first-round picks? Jair, um, Gary, Savage, and Love. All of them were above the eight threshold. Obviously, the first three are just athletic freaks. I mean, that's part of the allure of those players in particular. Absolute freaks. Rashawn Gary was on Feldman's freak list. Darnell Savage was known for his blazing fast speed. And Jair, same thing, just an athletic freak. Jordan Love hasn't seen quite as much of that. But, you know, as far as quarterbacks go, he's a little bit more mobile than the rest. And it's it's specific to your position. So, uh, you know, he had an eight based on quarterbacks. Do I think they drafted Jordan Love because of his athleticism? No, not at all. I'm sure that helped a little bit. But they're not looking at this guy going, yeah, but what's his RAS? Like, I don't care if he can't throw. Like, can you run around and stuff? All right, cool. Like, super agile? Yeah, sweet. But yes, out of four picks, all four were above eight. Okay. Kind of a small sample size there. What about Josiah DeGuara? So, again, it has to be first two rounds because Josiah DeGuara was a third-round pick. He had a 6.66 RAS. His size grade was graded as very poor. Six foot two, 242. His speed, explosion, and agility were all good. Overall, 6.66. So why did they take him? Because they like him, that's why. Why did they take Kenny Clark? Because they like him. Why did they take Jair? Not because of his RAS, right? Again, athleticism is a piece of the puzzle. It's not the whole thing. And again, I do think that in the first round, you want somebody to have a much higher ceiling. And if, I mean, if you're a a cornerback, and this kind of gets to the Asante Samuel thing, and, and I think it's a valid point. I'm not throwing it out the door, but I think with, with Asante Samuel, when you look at it and say, okay, um, he doesn't actually meet the threshold, he's not an athletic freak like Jair is. And I saw other people saying we should stop comparing Asante Samuel to Jair because Jair is more, uh, f- he's faster or something. I- I'm still going to do it. I mean, we can call him Jair Light if you want. Again, when you compare players to players, it's not just what's your straight line speed. Oh, you're slower? Well, then it doesn't count. No, there's, there's play style. There's playability. There's play aggression. I mean, he's, he's the same size. He plays fast. He plays aggressive. He's a great tackler. He reminds me of Jair. I don't care if in a foot race, Jair wins. That's, it's, you know. Again, it, it, it goes to ability and it goes to upside. Can Asante Samuel ever be Jair Alexander without this, those tools? I don't know. You know, the other corner that um, 
was competing with Jair for the number one spot. That was the number one corner for a long time. Um, but Jair just barely overtook him. Xavier Howard with the Dolphins. He was a second round pick in 2016. You know what his RAS is? 4.26. 4.26. He ran a 4.5840. Just, just ev- everything is horrific here. Aside from his size, which is great, 61201. He was average in his broad jump and his short shuttle, but he had a terrible vert, three cone, 40 yard dash, along with his 20 yard and 10 yard split. Even his bench, he got knocked. 11 reps on the bench, 3.35 out of 10. So again, it's just we 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 get too obsessed with it, and and yeah, you you tend to look at it and say, you know, it 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 makes me worried he doesn't have as high of a ceiling. But again, it really just comes down to being a good football player. At the end of the day, you have to be really really good to be Xavier Howard and to be this not athletic. And I don't know if he was hurt or what the situation is here, but it's you know it is what it is. The Packers generally like to see athleticism, but they've met twice with this guy for a reason. It's not just because they have no interest in picking him. They're strongly considering it. No question, they're looking at the athleticism going, I don't know, man, he's he's really small, which isn't great. Now, we know there's no official threshold for size, even though we thought there was. We made that up, it was fake. But it still goes to, I'd like to have a guy that's 6'3", if at all possible. 5'10", yeah, I don't know. Only if they're really good. Then you look at the athleticism, and it's still not quite there. Now, he's not bad. It was a 6.61. Okay, fine. Part of that is the fact that his size was so low. Right, 185 pounds is not great. They also factored in his bench, which, you know, nine reps, of of course. But everything else was pretty, I mean, it, it literally graded out as good. Yellow is just good. His vert was good, broad was good, short shuttle was good, three cones good, 40 is good, 20 is good, 10 yards good, uh, you know, six out of 10 for everything, Six between six and seven. So I have no question the Packers are on the fence, but just like everybody is. Everybody has to look at this and say, dude, the guy's really good, but I've got my concerns. He's a smaller guy, and, and for a smaller guy, he's not as fast as you'd like. He's not as agile as you'd like. And these things do matter. I'm not saying they don't. I'm just saying we put too much stock in it. So does that make me think less of him? Or or I shouldn't say it that way. Do I think there is less likely that the Packers end up taking him in the first round? Yes. I do think based on the height and weight and the athleticism, he's kind of projecting more into the second round. Because he just doesn't give you that first round level of excitement, right? That this guy's ceiling is through the roof. Now, Greg Newsom, on the other hand, does kind of give you that. Again, it's a smaller piece of the puzzle than the interview, the medicals, and just the general can the guy play. But he's got a 9.5. It's an unofficial, obviously, but, you know, 4.38. He's a, a bigger corner that ran a 4.38. I mean, that's, that's blazing fast, man. I mean, I guess he's not that big, but bigger. 18 reps on the bench, so I mean, again, that's kind of more of a gym rat thing, but he's still, he's going to be a lot stronger. Fantastic vertical, I mean, everything was fine with the exception of the short shuttle, which isn't nothing, by the way. But whatever, it's it's just, it is what it is. As long as they don't trade up for him, I'm, I probably won't be mad. But again, does it matter? Yes. Does it mean they're not going to draft him? No. But anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a quick break, we'll come back and talk about some more stuff. And by the way, I just checked, we are officially over... 1,300 members in the group. I was starting to think that Patreon was, was going to get to its goal before the uh, the the group did. But uh, by the way, big shout out to Micah Olson, who invited a bunch of people I see. I can see who invited people. So thank you. I really appreciate that. I'm, I'm guessing it was Micah that kind of got us over the hump here. Invited a ton of Packer fans, and uh, it's greatly appreciated. Thank you. Again, just hit the little invite button. Some of you, I'm sure, have already done it, so whatever. But thank you if you have. 
Thank you also, and again, I don't remember if I've said thank you, but thank you very much to uh, Matt Trombone and Paula Sheridan for your five-star iTunes reviews. I really appreciate that. Again, I'm hoping that this is going to help push me up the iTunes ranking, or at the very least, maybe someday they get some kind of a new metric and they look and say, hey, this guy is a Packers podcast. The name Packers is right there. So when I type in Packers, that should come up before the Puritan show. Also, 4.9 rating and 420 reviews um, is probably the highest rated Packers podcast out there. Not the second most reviews, I think. Maybe not even quite that, third or whatever. But um, find nearly 500 with 4.9. Best of luck. So haven't if you haven't yet, uh, please go ahead and do that. And most of all, thank you very, very, very much to Gary Ferries. I feel like I'm saying it wrong and it's probably offensive, but I'm sure you get that a lot. So I'm hoping you're going to forgive me on that. I just, I can't think of another way to say it. Farias. <laughs> I don't know. Could be Faris, right? But thank you very much for jumping in on Patreon, as well as Michael Quarum. Queeram. Man, is there a single Smith that listens to this show that wouldn't mind, like a John Smith or a Mike Johnson? David Alexander, you know? I just feel like every time I come on here to say thank you, I end up insulting the, <laughs> the people I'm trying to thank. If you guys want to throw in, like, nicknames or something, that'd be cool. But thank you very, very, very much again. My goal, as we march closer and closer to hopefully one day being able to do this for a living, is to get to 200 patrons by the start of the um, NFL season. In order to get there, we need 18 more people that are willing to say, you know what, I'm going to give this man a dollar a month patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you have any interest in that we'll take a break and we'll be right back in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks we get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value jordan love card but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates it's all just a shot in the dark until now introducing slab packs from arenaclub.com the only repack that provides real value a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, so I had talked a little bit a couple days ago about the Hall of Fame. I went on a bit of a tirade about how I think we're a little bit over generous with the Hall of Fame. 
And I got a decent amount of pushback. I had one person say that I'm too lenient, which kind of took me by surprise. I thought maybe he was being sarcastic and just picking on me or whatever, but I think he was serious. But I, I guess I can't be mad at it because he's coming from the same place I am. He just is even more strict about it. But a lot of other people, I think, are are trying to... I feel like they're mad and they're trying not to be mad because I got a ton of questions, especially about what about Butler? <laughs> Do you think Butler should be in? And I feel like it's, I'll forgive you if you say yes, I won't if you say no. So look, I don't have a definitive line or criteria or however, and I don't even know the best way to do it. I I know that Edelman is not getting in. I know that much. I know Eli's not getting in. It's going to be hard to pin me down because I, I don't, I haven't put the time in and I really don't want to as far as creating a criteria. And I don't know that there is a good way to do it, but I know that you can't draw a definitive line between, and I'm not saying they're doing this, but between Edelman and Butler because they're completely different in terms of one clearly being in the discussion and one that should just not be. I had somebody kind of reach out and say something to the effect of Edelman's true comp, uh, you know, contribution came in the postseason. That's cool. I know he had some clutch catches in the postseason. That's still, come on now. But you're talking about Leroy Butler. We're saying, what, 11 years in the pros. 10 straight years of interceptions. The only year he didn't get an interception was in 2001, his final year. He only played nine games, didn't get a pick. He had 13 forced fumbles. The only only one year, or excuse me, no, there were two years in which he didn't have a forced fumble in his career. And I think the biggest thing that you got to look at, and this is really impressive, and I know Pro Bowl and all that, the voting is kind of stupid and skewed, which makes it kind of hard to use this as a for sure criteria. But you're talking about 1996, 97, and 98. Not only did he go to the Pro Bowl, he was first team All-Pro three years in a row. You know, you look at like a similar guy in, in sort of uh, today's era, and I, I know he hasn't played in a few years, but you look at a guy like Cam Chancellor. Cam Chancellor is similar. In fact, very similar if you just look at Pro Bowls. Leroy Butler was 1993, and then he had a three-year-in-a-row three stretch, 96, 97, 98. But Cam Chancellor never once was first team. He went to the Pro Bowl four times in his career, uh, never once first team. You look at a guy like Eric Berry, kind of similar. He had uh, similarly four, or no, he, he was five times in the Pro Bowl, three first team All Pros, 2013, 15, and 16. Troy Polamalu, I mean, granted, he had more Pro Bowls overall one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and four first team All Pros. And, that, and I mean, and that's just that one metric. You look at his, his interceptions, and you got 32 interceptions compared to Butler's uh, 38. Uh, forced fumbles, 13 compared to Polamalu's 14, so very similar. Brian Dawkins, four first-team All-Pros. Again, played longer and had more overall Pro Bowls, but four first-team All-Pros. The guy played for 16 years and had 37 interceptions. Again, Butler had 38. He had more interceptions in like six less years. So again, I don't know exactly what the criteria is. But I know although Leroy Butler is not the best safety of all time, he's in that company. He's in that conversation, right? He's not Ed Reed, who went to the Pro Bowl 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 out of 10, 11, 12 years. And five of those were first-team All-Pro. 64 interceptions in 12 years, right? I mean, he's not. Very few people will ever be Ed Reed. But he is in the conversation of among the greatest safeties um, of all time. Again, I'd put him comfortably ahead of Cam Chancellor, maybe, uh, you know, a couple steps behind Tro- Troy Polamalu, probably on a similar tier of Eric Berry. I think Berry was obviously hampered by um, 
physical ailments that if he had been able to play longer, he probably would have had a, an even better career than he had, which is a great career. But, um, you know, again, I, I don't know, man, because I, I don't know what the criteria is. Is he one of the best safeties in football? Yes. And I'm sure there are guys getting into the Hall of Fame right now that are not as good as, as, uh, as Leroy Butler. So based on that, should he be in? Yes. It's the best answer I can give. I, I don't know what the criteria should be. It's an impossible thing to figure out. But I think at the end of the day, they look at, we want to get X amount of people into the Hall of Fame every year. So we're just looking at the best available players. And that's just kind of the way that they structure it. And, and like a lot of you would probably agree with, I don't know that they do the best job of that. Because again, Leroy Butler is, is heads and tails better than a lot of the guys currently getting in. All right, let's do a little bit of uh, some draft stuff and then we'll get up out of here. Packers did have a couple of meetings, uh, I think a day or two ago. They met with Northwestern wide receiver Ramad Shakao Bowman. We're just going to we're going to go with that as being his name. Currently right now projected to be an undrafted free agent, 6 foot 2, 203 out of Northwestern. He did have a bit of a breakout year. If you look at his 4 years at Northwestern, 51, 56, 57, 72, right? So something changed. He's got the size and he had his big breakout year, so it makes sense. You want to do your due diligence and try to get to the bottom of, uh, you know, is this legit? Especially if you can get a late round steal out of the guy. You're getting this guy. Maybe you want to pick him up in the sixth, seventh round, or just make him a, you know, priority free agent. Does grade out quite well as a deep threat. Had a 96.7 grade on passes 20 yards or deeper. Ten targets, six receptions, 166 yards, and three touchdowns. Primarily targeted on medium range passes between 10 and 19 yards. About 50% of his targets came in that range. 17 receptions of 31 targets, 237 yards, and a touchdown. Contested catch rate, 46%, so roughly 50-50 on 50-50 balls. Only had three drops this year, which is great. Never really was a uh, you know real bad with drops. Uh, he had three this year, one the year prior, three the year before that, and zero the year before that, so seven in his four-year career. It's always a good thing to see as far as a floor. We've seen guys come into Green Bay that seem like they have a lot of promise, but they just cannot get the drops straightened out. Not the most elusive guy in the world. He's got four missed tackles forced in four years, so about one a year. <laughs> and as far as special teams, it doesn't look like he really provides anything there. And as far as his ability to do jet sweeps and stuff, he has one rushing attempt in his career. Uh, he also has one fumble in his career. So <laughs> one attempt, one fumble. Doesn't look like it was on the same attempt. He has a different, I don't know how that worked. He fumbled, but he didn't get an attempt. Maybe he picked up a fumble and then fumbled it. I don't know, whatever. But it still comes out in the stat line, one attempt for zero yards and a fumble. So let's just say that's not his strength either. He's, he's just a, he's an, he's a guy you're going to put outside that can do maybe something. I don't know. He's a depth guy. They also met with safety Jamie and Sherwood out of Auburn. He is currently ranked 166th overall, but uh, kind of interestingly enough, He's actually 67th on PFF's big board, so he's a potential second-round target as far, as far as PFF's concerned. So Jamie and Sherwood seems like a name that isn't all that uh, interesting, kind of a mid-round pick kind of guy, but it's not impossible his name gets called as early as the second round for the Packers. As far as uh, the PFF grades and stats and whatnot, good year in 2018, average in 2019 and 2020, so you got regression, which isn't great. Um, fantastic tackler. Uh, he... Who's the guy that I really, really liked about, what was it, a year ago, two years ago? That was just his big thing. He, he ended up running an extremely slow 40 time, but the guy never, ever, ever missed a tackle. And I just really liked the guy. I knew he probably wouldn't become much, but anyway, 6'2", 220, fantastic tackler. He's obviously going to be more of a strong safety. Could be possibly a guy that you're just throwing in the box, you know. He's big for a safety. He's probably better in coverage than you get from most linebackers. And he's just a great tackler. 
not a horrible option for a third safety. Doesn't do a ton of uh, pass rush stuff, but he did have 24 pressures, four of which he got home. Two of them were actually sacks, so two sacks on 24 attempts. His coverage is only a 57, so that's kind of a big weakness. Again, he's, he's, uh, he's very close to being just called a small linebacker. But he did actually spend most of his time in the box at Auburn. He's had 310 snaps inside the box as a strong safety slash linebacker, whatever you want to call him. Um, 193 of those of the snaps, so a significant drop at free safety, and 140 in the slot. So versatile enough, but clearly spends most of his time inside the box. So that's what you're getting. If you hear Jamie and Sherwood's name called, he's primarily a really big, really sure tackling box strong safety type of, of safety. And finally, because he asked nicely, J.J. asked if I would be, uh, or he was wondering what my thoughts on Trill Williams out of Syracuse are. I know I've looked at him in the past. I don't know if I've ever really talked about him on the podcast. Comes up a lot, obviously, doing mock drafts and whatnot. So Trill Williams, uh, cornerback out of Syracuse, six foot two, 200-ish pounds. Kind of fits the mold if you're looking for a taller guy. I wouldn't necessarily even say bigger. At 6'2", not even cracking the 200 mark. He's not necessarily big, but he is tall. Three years at Syracuse, you've got a good amount of consistency. Again, if you're just looking for a guy, like I've said, I'm fine with, that is, you know, maybe low ceiling, high floor, kind of fits that mold. 70, 69, 75. So his best year was his last year, although shortened year was only five games. But he's never really been that bad. Um, Not the greatest tackler in the world, but he does have a decent run defense grade. But his number one asset is his coverage, which obviously is the most important. And he had a massive upgrade, again, shortened season, but um, 69, 66, and then 78. Also worth noting, he is sort of a safety slash, see, this is weird. I got to look at his career here, see if that's just a new thing or what. Um, kind of. So it's it's strange, because at, at 6'2", 198, I guess you don't really expect it. He's primarily a slot corner, but he actually took a, a, a big jump in the amount of games that he played inside the box as a safety. In fact, the first two games against North Carolina and Pittsburgh in 2020, they designated him as a strong safety because he spent more time doing that than he did in the slot. The last three games, they, they called him a slot. So it's kind of like a big slot corner. Maybe it's the answer to the big slot position. So it's, it's, it's interesting. And again, he does a pretty good job of it. Um, in terms of his statistics here, you've got uh, the last year, 14 of 21 were caught for 133 yards. He gave up one touchdown, had one pick and four pass breakups. On his career, uh, 58% reception percentage, 54 out of 92 for 701 yards. Again, this is over three years. He's given up four touchdowns, has four picks, six pass breakups, 79.1 passer rating when targeted. So I think Trill is is sort of, let's see where he's supposed to be. So they've got him about 112. So yeah, mid-round pick, I don't know, third, fourth round, something like that. I think when you get to that point, I'm, I'm man, Sean Wade is all the way down here already. That's crazy. <laughs> Seth Williams, too. Those are two guys that were pretty high up. Seth Williams was like a second-round guy. Sean Wade was an early first. Talk about plummeting. But, um, yeah, I think that's something I, I you know, I'm not going to get excited if we take him in the second round, but if we go third or fourth round, would I be excited? Yeah. Again, it's just it's just a guy, especially, if, I mean, if we get, and now I'm getting, ah, I shouldn't say that because I wouldn't like that because then we're missing out on a lot of other prospects. But saying if, if maybe if we got two corners and Trill was just one of them, that's something to get excited about. Because now we've got a bunch of depth. We got maybe somebody else that's going to be on the outside more. And then Trill Williams has the opportunity to just be a really good slot guy, and that's all he has to be. And I guess in year one with Kevin King there, that's all he's going to have to be anyway. So yeah, I'd be good with that. It's actually kind of funny looking at the uh, PFF draft guide on Trill Williams real quick. 
on their website, they call him a corner. On their draft guide, they call him a safety. And then where it says biggest weakness, it says lack of position. So, <laughs> and, and I do think that can be kind of a problem. You got some of these guys that are tweeners. And it's weird because in the NFL today, you want guys that can play multiple positions. But there are guys out there that are, that are what I would call tweeners, which is different than guys that are multi-positional, right? It's, it's sort of like, you know, you, you've got two different positions. You got some guys that have enough talent to cover both of those positions and to be able to play both of them. You got some guys that are kind of in between and kind of can't really do either very well. You know, maybe he's a little bit too big. You know, I guess the easier way to say it, he's, he's too much of a safety to be a corner. He's too much of a corner to be a safety. You know, does he have that, that full skill set to be able to actually do both or at least do one well enough? By the way, his Trill is his shortened name. His full name is Atrillion, which is pretty, pretty baller. Sounds like a Transformer name or something. But um, the bottom line they put on him, they got him as a fourth-round pick. They said Williams was a square peg in a round hole as a slot corner, but he he's an unknown at this point on the outside. So they don't know where to put him. It might just be that he moves to safety. I don't really know. I have no idea what the plan will be. We'll figure it out once he gets I'm sure the Packers have a specific vision in mind for him. Like most teams, they're looking at Trill and they're saying, we would use him in this capacity or we just wouldn't use him, whatever the case is. But... Um, as far as pros and cons, they said elite all-around athlete, obviously something you feel like you can work with. Physical player, best slot trait was blocking up wide screen block. Easy mirror ability, can change direction for a taller player. Legit tape at outside corner as a freshman. His negatives, not particularly instinctive in the slot. Lost guys in his zone often. Issues breaking down in space and wrapping up ball carriers. Very limited ball production to speak of over his career and has struggled in his career playing the catch point and locating the ball down the field. And although they were very impressed with his athleticism, um, he did run a 4.42 in the 40, which is great. But his vert was in the 50th percentile. His broad jump was 55th percentile. So the explosion isn't really there. But he's an interesting player, and he he makes sense for a lot of defenses that are doing a lot of different things that want to use a guy in different areas and want to move pieces around. Trill Williams is that ultimate guy. But the question is, is he versatile or is he a tweener? Versatile is, and 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 the scary thing about that is. You put a premium on versatile, but tweeners you can't use. So guys like Trill, if they think that he's versatile, he's they put a premium on him. You want versatile guys more than anything, guys that can do multiple things. But you got to be real careful because it's possible he can't do any of them very well at the next level. So sort of a high-risk, high-reward guy is how I would characterize Trill Williams. Despite the fact that you're looking at his grades and saying he's just kind of an average sort of a guy, but as far as his impact on the defense, if you can move him around, if I can put him outside, I can put him in the slot, I can put him in the box, I can move him up to safety, I can put him wherever I want, depending on the situation, the game plan, all that different stuff, that is unbelievably valuable. But it's also high risk, again, because maybe he just, he's he's, he's too much of a tweener. He does everything, like, at 40% of what you need. He can do it all, whereas a lot of guys, you know, like Jair, outside as compared to in the box i mean jair outside is a, a 95 in the box he's like a 20 whereas trill is just like a 50 everywhere you put him and it's like it's just not good enough you know between a 40 and a 60 so i don't know interesting and again if we're talking fourth round yeah sweet let's do it i don't care it's not like there's a bunch of fourth round picks that are you know got me super jacked up unless tutu goes in the fourth round then that's one but anyways i'm gonna wrap it up there again with impeccable timing 457 is the time you folks have yourselves a fantastic Friday. I do think we've got enough uh, Patreon questions for Saturday, but uh, hit me up with a bunch of questions. We'll do Patreon Saturday and hopefully Patreon Sunday. You all have a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.